Okay, we're learning Daf Samachay. So let's just uh, recap what this parak threw us into yesterday. Uh, the idea is that we're being matar nadarim, uh, and we have the ability to do that. Sometimes we're even encouraged to be matar nadarim. And the mechanism by which a neder becomes hotar in front of the rabbi or the basin is a Pesach. A Pesach is an opening. The idea of a Pesach is that if a person had thought it through a little bit better, they wouldn't have made the neder. If they thought, would have thought about a certain variable, which they didn't think about, then they wouldn't have made the neder. And that's the way a neder works. So a uh, Pesach works. Now we spoke about yesterday, a machlok is about nolad. Nolad is that not just that we didn't think it through well enough, it's that we didn't think through something that was unforeseeable. Meaning you didn't think through something that was unlikely to happen. So the chacham hold, you can't use a nolad. Uh, the example that we saw yesterday is, you know, like, you, you, you made an idea that a certain house was going to be offered to you, and then suddenly, years later, they're making it into a shul. And you want your nether to become hotter. If I would have known that years later they make it into a shul, I never would have made the nether. So that's not a good Pesach, because you can't say that had you thought it through at the time of the nether, you wouldn't have made the nether, because if someone would have said that to you at the time of the nether, you would have said, ah, unlikely it's going to happen, and therefore you still would have made the nether. So that's one big discussion that we have. Another big discussion that we have in this parak is whether or not you can use a Pesach that we're concerned that the vower might not tell us the truth. So, for example, let's give a basic example of that. Uh, the Gemara spoke about this back on Chafez. We had this again yesterday. Let's say, Kavan HaMakam. Kavan HaMakam is, you tell the person, you know, didn't, did you think through that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't like Nidharm? HaKadosh Baruch Hu considers it an evil thing to make an either. Did you think that through? So that's not a good Pesach. Why not? You would think that's an amazing Pesach. He would answer, no. Had I known that, I'd been aware about how much Hashem doesn't like it, I never would have made that net. You would say that's an unbelievable Pesach. That's not a valid Pesach. Why? Because we cannot be assured that he'll tell us the truth. Why? We're concerned that a person really doesn't care about the Kavad Shemayim and he still would have made the Nether. But you're not going to tell the rabbi, you're going to be too ashamed to admit in front of the Basin that no, actually I still would have made the Nether. So you'll have to be forced to kind of like be out of your shame just to lie and say I wouldn't have done the Nether and we're being Mater Nether, I'll be something which isn't really there. So therefore, if it's something which a person would be embarrassed to tell the truth about, you can't use that as a Pesach. So those are the two basic rules that we touched on yesterday. When you're using a Pesach, it has to be something that was foreseeable, something that had he thought through better, he wouldn't have made the nether. That's A. And B, it has to be something that he's comfortable telling us the truth about. If it's something he's not comfortable telling us the truth, then we're concerned he's just lying and we can't use that as a Pesach. So now let's jump in to some new points here on today's top. Top of the Ahmad, Samachay. Tanya says in Rice, someone who made a nether that Asr benefit from his friends, meaning he's forbidding himself to benefit his friend, to help his friend. So what is the halacha? We're only matrim for the nether if it's in the presence of the other person. So let's just, we'll see certain cases that the Gemara is going to bring that illustrate this. So many of you should understand the type of nether that we're talking about is that it was made for the benefit of the friend. That's the point. So a person made the nether for the benefit of his friend and he was holding them back, inhibiting them, but it was done in order to benefit their friends. So now, if you're going to be matriate, don't just go to a random rabbi in front of a random basin and be matriate. You owe the courtesy, you owe the respect to the friend that you made the nether to benefit. You have to you owe him that courtesy that you should do it in front of him. And what's the you say to this? So one idea is that it would discourage him from using a false Pesach. In other words, we're always concerned. There's a certain concern always that we have when a person made a net that's going to benefit somebody and now suddenly wants to back out of it. Maybe he's really lying. It's not such a legitimate Pesach, but he'll do it just to get out of helping his friend. So we want his to do it in the presence of his friend in order to alleviate any concern about whether or not he is, uh, he's telling the truth. If you follow this explanation that we're saying, 
then this din is specific to nedarim that are made for the benefit of one's friend. That's very unique. In other words, it's not like a rule in life that if you have a nether between you and your friend, then you can only be matar in front of him. It's unique to nedarim that are being made for the benefit of your friend. So we're concerned that you're just trying to slip away from them so that you don't have to help your friend. And we're saying, in order to make sure that you're telling the truth about your Pesach, he should be present. Okay. The other shot that we showed him give is that the whole din is chashat, suspicion. If you're matar nether, not in front of the guy, and then the guy sees that you're not, you know, honoring your word, he might be chayshid you, that you're not doing the right thing. So you have, in order to, to remove any suspicion, you're matar the nether in front of him. Okay, I'll call upon him two approaches in the Rishonim. Says the Gemara Minal Minanimili. Where do we get this? Amar of Nachman Dechsev. Amar Hashem Al Moshe, but Minyan Leishev Leich Shuv Mitzrayim Kimeisu Kol Anashim. So what's the context? Moshe was in Midian. Moshe ran away from Mitzrayim because Dalton and Avirim were trying to kill him. He goes there. He meets he meets uh, Yisro. Yisro invites him in. But what 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 happened? Not only invite him in, he makes him swear that he's going to stay. When he gives him his daughter in marriage, he makes Moshe make a shvua, a swearing, an oath that he's going to remain in Midian. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is being Matar Moshe's neder. And he's saying, you only made that neder that you would stay here. Why? Because it was dangerous in Mitzrayim. But since the people have died, it's no longer dangerous that you thought that through, you went to made the neder. Therefore, you're allowed to go back, which was we touched upon yesterday. Is it no lot? Is it not no lot? Fine. But either way, now Moshe is being taken out of his bind of the nether and being going back to Mitzrayim. So Amalak al was saying to Moshe, you made the vow in front of Yisrael. It was very, it, the Pasuk is emphasizing that it was in Midian that he had to be mad to the nether. In other words, Hashem was saying, don't just run, don't just skip town. Go and let's do this in front of Yisrael. When it says that, which is always the Lushan, like the Pasuk shot means, that he agreed to stay, but Vayoel in could also be a reference that has the connotation of an oath. Mechanetzer brought Sidkia under an Allah, which is talking about an oath, as we're going to talk about that story in a moment. So we see Allah is identified here as an oath. So Vayoel Moshe was made an oath he was going to remain in Midian. Hashem told him since he took it in Midian, so he has to be mad to the Nadir in front of Yisro as well. It's very interesting. You know, Hashem was Mazar Moshe's Nadir here. So that's a little bit interesting concept. But it should be done in Midian. It should be done in the presence of Yisro. And this is a classic example. So this Nadir that Moshe made, that he was going to stay, that was to benefit Yisro. He didn't want to make the Nadir. He was just... True. It was, it was a Mushmami Piyacher. Yisro asked him to. Um, I don't necessarily know if it matters here. I think the point is, at the end of the day, he did he t- t- take the oath and he did it to benefit Yisro. In other words, that's what it was. And now if he slips out of it, then we're, you know, it's not fair. Now, we quoted this Pasuk with Nebuchadnezzar and Sidkia, so now we're going to get into the story. So let's just understand. There was something where Nebuchadnezzar asked Sidkia to make an oath. Uh, Sidkia made an oath and then he just like went back on it. So what is the story here in the Pesukim? Maimar do say, what was this rebellion that the Pasuk is referring to? So just to clarify, Tzitkiyah is a Jewish king, Tzadik. Nebuchadnezzar is Malafavo, big Russia. So Nebuchadnezzar was eating a live Arnava, like some sort of rabbit, which was extremely embarrassing. It's the type of thing that's like, you know, it's not something befitting for a king. Let's put it that way. So now it was like blackmail. Nebuchadnezzar was scared that Tzitkiyah would, 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 would tell people about it. So Amalei said to Tzitzkiah, I want you to swear to me, I want you to swear you're not going to tell anybody about it because I don't want anyone to find out. So he swore. But in the end, Tzitzkiah started suffering. And Begufe is much more like it was like physical. He was like, he felt so horrible that he couldn't tell people. Well, why did he feel so horrible? So Pashup shot is because it was leverage. 
right? The, plat- the more that the Jewish people were going down in the times of Nebuchadnezzar, again, this is the beginning of his time, and now Nebuchadnezzar is being more oppressive, this and that. So he realizes, you know, you know how much I can do if I can tell people all about Nebuchadnezzar and really disclose his identity and it will turn the public opinion, sway public opinion. We could do a lot over here. So he's physically suffering from all of this. So Ishtar he went to the Sanhedrin, he was Matar's nether, and then Vamar, he told people. So that was a real act of rebellion. And Nebuchadnezzar was very upset. Shaman Nebuchadnezzar to come a vase and lay people. Nebuchadnezzar heard that people were making fun of him. There are billboards, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar eating a live rabbit. So he knew what, what happened here. So Shalach, he sent the Isis and the Sanhedrin with Sitkia. They brought the Sanhedrin and Sitkia to him. Amalon, he said to the Sanhedrin, Do you see what Sitkia did? Didn't he use the name of Hashem? And he swore he wouldn't reveal a secret. Now he did. So in other words, he's accusing the Sanhedrin of being corrupt. So Amalei, they told him, No, he did it. He was matter than Nether. So he was matter than Nether. Therefore, it was allowed. Are you allowed to get out of an oath? Amalei, in, you could. Meaning, not only in Nether could you be matter, you could be matter, a shvua that's taken in the shame of Hashem as well. Remember back on Davchaf Beis, the Gemara had that discussion. Whether in Are we matter a shvua that's made with God's name? It's more severe. And the answer is ultimately yes. So Amalei, he said, But is that mutter? To be matter, somebody shvua that was done to benefit somebody else. Like here, the shvua that Sitka made was to benefit Nebuchadnezzar. So is it to be allowed to be annulled only perhaps in the presence, only in front of him or not? So they said to him, Bafanov is only mutter in his presence. So he said, So then why'd you do it? I wasn't there. My time alone with Sitka, why didn't you tell Sitka that you can't do it? What's pshat? So basically, what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar gets the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, it seems like, had, had an error. And, and he, he embarrasses them because of that. He said, sit on the ground and be quiet. The elders of the daughter of Zion, meaning to say, they remove the cushions, meaning normally Sanhedrin sits on chairs. Here, it was, they were degraded and Nebuchadnezzar punishes them and they were forced to sit on the ground. Humiliated in shame of their mistake, the king said, that you made for being matter than Nedeb at So it's fascinating how Nebuchadnezzar gets into the details of the halacha. But after all is said and done, obviously the question is, why did Sanhedrin do the wrong thing? Right? In other words, obviously they, there must have been something. So it could be that it was a Torah mitzvah. And you know, it was this whole thing that you should only be matter fun of to make sure that the Pesach is legitimate, whatever it's saying. It's a, some sort of concern, you know, but this is very unique circumstances. I want to leverage to save Kali Yisrael over here. It was something more. It was more of a pressing scenario. Or maybe he was physically sick. That was what the issue was. But either way, the Sanhedrin felt that they were, they were, they were able to override the normal concern and be matur shalobafana. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't too happy about that. Fascinating end of the story. Okay. Zok the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir Oimer. We spoke out in the last Mishnah that noila to be matur for an unforeseeable future event is machlekes, where the Rabbonans say you can't be matur. Rabbi Meir Oimer, Yishdvarm Shehim, Kenoila, Ve'inu Kenoila. There are types of things that are like noila, but they're not noila. Meaning, meaning to say, even though they seem to be like new developments that you can't use, but still, you could use them. They're not really like Nolad, and you could use them for a Pasach. The Ein Chachamim Chacham do not agree with Rabbi Meir. The Chacham holds that these new circumstances cannot be used to um, just make everything gone. Now, we'll have to see what the case is. The Mishnah quickly illustrates what's the going on. Kate said, Amar, person said, Konim Shani, no says, Polonisha, Avira. Person said, I'm not going to marry that woman. And he makes a, 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 a Shavuot to that effect. Why? Because the father is wicked. So meaning he explains. He doesn't just make the, the oath. He explains, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to have such a father-in-law who's wicked. Amrulo, they said to him, Mace, what, what's the problem? He's dead. He's already did tshuva. So in this case, here's where it's a little bit tricky. It's something where 
he's making it contingent upon something which is not. And that's why it's a little bit different than the nolad that we spoke about yesterday. Yesterday, nolad was like the example I said, oh, this house is forbidden to me. Then years later, you know, they want to make it into a shul. I said, oh, I didn't know they were going to make it into a shul. I never would have made the nether. Very good, but that's unforeseeable. You wouldn't have thought that through. That's nolad. Here, the case is different. Here, the case could be different for one of two things. Number one, it could be different because perhaps it was a mistake at that time. I say to the guy, I say, I'm not going to marry this girl because her father is a rasha. And really, in that moment, he's a tzaddik. So it's not even, I don't even really need a Pesach or anything. It's just that there's a mistake which is made in the moment. It's not about it changing in the future to a shul. In the moment, it's different. That's one plausible explanation. The other plausible explanation is, is that even if the father would turn into a tzaddik in the future, even if it is in the future, but there's a different point here. He didn't just have it in mind. He stated it. He explicitly said, the only reason why I'm offering myself to marry this girl is contingent upon the fact that the father is wicked. So therefore, it's as if it's built into the nether. It's not a Pesach that comes from the outside. Had I known that the father was going to do teshuva, then I would not have made the nether. And we could say, yes, but is it foreseeable or unforeseeable? He made the nether itself contingent upon the fact. So if the fact doesn't continue, so then the nether doesn't continue. Those are two very different perspectives. Is the point because in the moment the father is a tzaddik? Or is the point because he explicitly made the isra to the daughter contingent upon the father? So that we're going to have to see in the Gemara. Or another example, he said, this house is forbidden, me, is forbidden to me, it's a konem. And he adds, there's a bad dog inside, or there's a snake which is found inside of the house. They said to him, that dog had died. Someone killed that snake. Mayor says it would seem like it's a new development, but the truth is it's not like a no lad. According to Rameir, it's null and void. And Pashib Shad, according to Rameir, you don't even have to go to a chacham. You don't even have to go to a chacham. It's null and void automatically. Because it was built in that the net that was there only contingent on those things, and those things are not true. Do not agree. So right away we have to figure out what's going on. Is it something in the future changed? Or was it really like that the whole time? Why is it not no let's so the Gemara analyzes? In the case where the, the, the guy said the, you know, this, he said, I'm not gonna marry the girl because the father in law is wicked. So they said he died. So our mayor is saying it appears like that's no lie, but it's not really no lie. So I'll think more, why is it not no lie? Mace no lie who? Someone dying is a new development, right? As we learned yesterday, people don't expect people to die. That's the idea. So if, you, if something happened because someone dies, that's considered an unforeseeable point, which is no lie. So what is it, what, what's shot? If the guy ends up dying, but hey, that's no lie. And for the Gemara Maravuna, Nasek Atola Nidra Bedavar. The Yisraelis, even though it was, foreseeable, it was unforeseeable, but since he explicitly said, I'm only not going to marry her because the father is wicked, so then you don't need it to be like a Pesach. He just made a contingent upon the father being wicked, being around and there as a wicked person in his life. So since he put that into the nether, it's built in that the nether can only exist as long as there's a father who's wicked. The second the father dies, it's not shot now. Oh, now would I have made... He put it into the nether. The nether can only exist as long as the father's wicked. So it's different than yesterday. Let's say, or even in this case, let's say in this case, he wouldn't have said. He would have just said, I'm never going to marry that girl. Never going to marry that girl. Then years later, the father, the father, the father of this prospective bride dies, and he comes to the base and he says, "You should know, I only made the nether because I didn't want the father-in-law, and now the father-in-law died. I want the girl." You know what we would say to him? Get out of basin. That's no lot. But here he said in the nether, "Shaviara." So the nether was always contingent upon that existence of the father, and that's why it's not an issue of Nailad. Okay, very good. And according to this shot, again, it's not, Rameir's not saying it's a Pesach. He's saying there's a stipulation. So it automatically goes away. That would be the shot here in Rameir. Now, the question is, what are the Rabbanon? 
Rabbanan say he didn't explicitly make such a t'nai. He didn't say that. He just said shaviara. So it's not automatically, it doesn't automatically go away. That machlokas is whether it's considered a real stipulation. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, the pshat is a response to him, not that then he died. They're saying in the moment that you said it, he was already dead. So therefore, that's the pshat. Rabbi is not saying it's a pasach. He's saying it was considered to have been made with a mistaken premise. So the nether never, the nether never, never takes effect at all. What? Why is that I can't hear. Why is that Oh, or what are the Rabbanon hold? Right? In other words, what are the Rabbanon saying of this? It has to be it's the to Rabbanon that could lead to confusion. In other words, really, it's a Nidre Shkaga. It's not a Nina Pesach. But the Rabbanon were nervous, I guess, that it could lead to confusion with other cases where he died in the future where it would be no lad. And therefore, the Rabbanon said, even though he was already dead at the moment, where it really was a mistaken premise, the nether still needs to be, be annulled. So either way, Rameir, when he says, Yishram Shein Kenol, Ve'ena Kenolad, you don't need a Pesach. You don't need to go to a basin and get it annulled. He's just saying you would think that there's some issue of it being an unforeseeable event. But the truth is, it's not. Either because in the first writing, he made it contingent upon it, or in the second track, because the father was already dead. So I think more Mazar of Abba with the Kasher from, from the Mishnah coming up tomorrow. Person says, I'm not going to marry so and so because she's ugly. But the truth is, she's beautiful. He says, I'm not going to marry her because she's dark. She's really white. Kitsara, I'm not going to marry her because she's short. The truth is, she's tall. In all these cases, the nether never takes effect. Then the Mishnah adds, not because she was ugly and she became beautiful. She was dark and became like because she was short and became tall. It was only because the nether was made in mistake. Okay, so the Mishnah is saying in all these cases there was a mistaken premise. He thought she was short and she was tall, and therefore the nether is not nachal. And because of that, the nether there's nothing. There's no effect to it. So now we get to our kasha. Think about it. Why is that Mishnah anything different than our case? Why do we speak about that case anything more than our case? What was our case? Someone says, I'm not going to marry the girl because the father is bad. So we said, what do you mean? The father died. And we say, it's okay. Rameir said, what's in that Mishnah any more than, than our Mishnah? What's, what's, what's tomorrow's Mishnah? That she, she's short and really she's tall. Why is that different than her father is wicked and he's really dead? What's the difference? So Bish, I'm like Ravuna, we could say the first case our Mishnah is talking about, not that the father is dead now, but the father died in the future, but still it's mutter because he made a contingent upon the father being alive. So that's today's Mishnah. Tomorrow is going to tell us about a mistaken premise where in the moment it was wrong. So that's why both are necessary. There are two separate cases. One is where you spoke out because it's wicked, the father is wicked in the future he dies. And B is where there was a mistaken premise, completely two different things. The first thing is telling us that it's part of the, that is considered a contingency and considered a tonight. And the second case is telling us that when there was a mistaken premise, it doesn't take effect. Two different points, two different Mishnahites. Rabbi Yochanan learned shot in our Mishnah that it was also a mistaken premise, that the father was dead in the moment. So then basically you have the same Mishnah twice. Why do we need two different examples of a mistaken premise in the Mishnahites? What's the difference between the father being wicked and he was already dead? The girl was, was, was short and she was really tall in the moment. Either way, it's the same Mishnah. So the Gemara says, Kasha, you're right. That's a difficulty that we have within the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, so to conclude, Rameir is telling us a rule that sometimes things might seem like nolad, but it's really not an issue of nolad. And as we illustrated in the Mishnah, it's the shot where a person was saying, I have an assumption, I don't want to marry this girl because of the assumption that the father is wicked. And then that assumption is wrong. There's two ways how to understand the Mishnah. Either the father did die in the future, but it's not nolad because, because he made a contingent upon the father's wickedness. It wasn't just something he had in mind, but he put it in stipulation into the nether that is Rav and Rabbi Yochanan is because the father was already dead, so it was a mistaken uh, premise in the moment. Okay.
Now, we learn another point from Rabbi Rameir. In order to understand this mission, you just have to go back to that word of introduction I said before we started today. That you don't make a Pesach with something that a person would be embarrassed to tell you the truth about. That's why you can't say, don't you know Hashem doesn't like Nadarim? You can't say that. Why? Because it's not a good Pesach because maybe the guy really doesn't care about Hashem's kavod, but he's not going to admit it to the basin. So he'll lie and say, oh, yeah, 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 I never would have made the nether. So therefore, you can't use such a Pesach. You can't use something which is like directly related to the cup of Shemai. However, Vaod Amar 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 also said, you could, find, you could use something that's in the Torah. It doesn't mean the Torah is off limits. It just means the whole covet Shemaim is off limits. But if you're using, let's say, one particular detail in the Torah, we assume people are quite comfortable telling you that they don't care about one particular detail in the Torah. And therefore, if you find a Pesach using one din in the Torah, that's fine. What's an example? of Amalah, we say, so this is an example where someone says, I, I will, no, so-and-so cannot benefit from my property. Reuven says, Shimon can't benefit from my stuff. So we say to him, what do you mean? When you make such a, such a thing, you're going to be over on Losikom. You're taking revenge. Obviously, there are circumstances behind this, right? Shimon must have done something to Reuven. And Reuven is saying in response, out of revenge, out of spite over here, you can never benefit from me. Alositar, bearing a grudge, not to hate somebody, to help somebody live. So what's going to happen if Shimon gets poor and, and, and you're not going to be able to help him because you made a nether, which is binding that you can't give him any benefit. So, so Omar, if the person says, had I known that it was like this, I wouldn't have vowed. I raise a mother. The nether is in fact permitted. It can be annulled. What's the aside? We're not concerned that a person wouldn't tell us the truth. When is Kavad Shemayim, you say to somebody, don't you know Hashem doesn't like what you just made in Eder? So then we don't use that because we're, we're concerned a person wouldn't, would, wouldn't tell us the truth otherwise. He wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, I don't care about Hashem's Kavad. Therefore, we're nervous he's lying. But here, we're not nervous he's lying. Say to the guy, don't you know it says in the Torah, you know what he's going to say back? If he really doesn't care, you know what he's going to say? Yeah, but you know what he did to me, right? That's the way people work. It's not such a big deal. We're not embarrassed to admit that. So therefore, if a person does in fact say, had I known that this brings me against uh, then a person would be comfortable admitting, admitting, saying that, and therefore it's a good Pesach if he says he wouldn't have done it. All right, so the Gemara seemed to say that if I made a nether not to benefit somebody else, and the guy becomes poor, I'm not going to be able to help him. Says the Gemara, is that true? Let the vower say that anyone who becomes poor doesn't fall to me. Because this guy who has the nether, who has the subject of the nether here, I could support him together with everybody else. What does he mean to say? He means to say it's not personal that I have to support him. The community will support him. So all I have to do is give, put, put Bunny into the pushka, into the communal fund, and then from the communal fund, they'll, they'll, they'll give him charity. That's not me being over on the nether. And that's a very important thing. In other words, when a person says you can't benefit from my property, there's no, there's no restriction on him to donate to the, to the communal charity. And the communal charity will give out to whoever needs. If it happens to be to the subject of the nether, it will be to the subject of the nether. That's not a restriction on Ruvain. So he says, I say anyone who comes to be poor, he doesn't go to the Gabbai first. Meaning to say, the communal pot over here is the last resort. Yes, it's true, it could be used, and you wouldn't be over on the nether. But typically, he comes over to his friends, his neighbors, and he says, you know, can you give me a loan? Can you give me something? And you're not going to be able to help him because you made a nether. So that's what we mean, you're not going to be able to help him. It doesn't mean, that, you know, there's no, nothing that could be done. You're going you're gonna to be stuck forever. You're right, there are our solutions. But we mean the normal, most, most typical way. It goes over his friends and family. That's not going to be able to happen because of your dad. Okay, very good. Um, now we continue, says the Mishnah. We give a Pesach for a person that he become mother for his nether for his wife, Ksuba. What does that mean? A person was in you know, some sort of 
um, fight with his wife and he made a vow against her that's going to compel divorce, either practically or halakhically, different things you can say that might compel it. Bottom line is he has a vow against his wife, which is leading now in divorce. But he realizes, hey, if I have to divorce her, I'm going to have to pay a lot of money to her exuba. So the question is, is that valid Pesach? That he could say, had I thought through a little bit better that I was going to owe her all this money, I wouldn't, and, and, and I wouldn't have made the nether, which is bringing out, uh, which is bringing out the divorce. Okay, so in other words, we're saying that's not a no-lot, right? That's not a no-lot because he just, he just could have thought it through better. It's not a new development. He just has to realize all the amount of money that he has to pay if he makes the nether. So the Gemara gives a, a mission gives a story for this. Somebody made another offspring benefit from his wife. Now he has to divorce. So he said, well, Abraham has dinner. Her ksuba was 400 dinner. Very expensive. Kiva said he has to pay. So Amalo, he said to Rabbi Kiva, My father left inheritance of only 800 dinner. My brother took half, 400. And I only inherited 400. Isn't enough for her to only get 200? Why have to give so much to her? That's all, all I have. She's cleaning me out. Even if you sell the hair on your head, you have to pay the ksuba. We'll explain what that means in the Gemara. So Armalo, he said to Rabbi Kiva, had I known that it was going to cost me so much, you know that I never would have made the nether against her, which is bringing to divorce. And therefore, Itir Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva was mater her to him. So we see that that's not considered a nolad, that's considered a valid Pasach. So first of all, we see in the Mishnah, Rabbi Kiva was saying you have to pay the Ksuba. And in the language he said is that you have to pay even if you're selling the hair on your head. So, so I guess there's some value to hair. You sell the hair on your head. Rabbi Kiva was saying is that that Pashup shot is that that is owed to the ksuba, meaning when a person owes money to the wife of the ksuba, that money is paid from any asset that he owns, including, however ironic it is, the hair on his own head. He has to sell that hair to pay her ksuba. Movable items are not meshubah to ksuba. So this is a basic rule. Hopefully remember this from ksubas, that even though sometimes we say that, that a bachov has to pay has to pay from his metalthalim, if he has metalthalim. But ksuba, the whole shiba of the ksuba is on the karka. It's on, the, it's on real estate. Oh, the, 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 there's metalthalim, is not meshubah for ksuba. So why is Rabbi Akiva say that you would have to sell the hair in order to pay her the money if he doesn't have karka, he doesn't have karka. He wouldn't have to sell the metalthalim, right? But hair is movable property. I'm rabbi, karka shavah money this dinner. No, what's going on is not the inheritance of 800 dinner cash. We're talking about land. So therefore, even though the movables aren't Mishabud, we're talking about real estate. Frank the Gemara, you didn't answer the question. The problem is that the mission was talking about hair. Haktani Sarosho, Sarosho Metatala, right? The hair is a movable property. Hair, hair is considered its own way to be cut, so it's considered already cut, which is an interesting idea. You know, somebody could say maybe it's like real estate, right? It doesn't, you, can't, you can't move your hair. How do you move your hair? But since you could always cut it, it's movable to be cut. The Kamara considers that it is movable property. So whatever value the hair has, it's like metal, so it shouldn't be Meshubah Tiksuba. So the Kamara answers, Hachikama is what Rikiva was saying. Even if the Ksuba makes you so poor that after you pay out from the real estate, now you're so poor that you have to sell the hair on your head to go buy food to eat. Meaning you're not paying, you're not giving the hair, you're not, you're not turning it into liquid to pay her the Ksuba. After you pay her the ksuba, you're so impoverished that now to eat food, the only, the only solution you have is to sell the hair in your head. Even if that occurs to you, you would still have to pay the ksuba. So what comes out from here? That posture is a master. Let's say a guy has one piece of land, and if he gives it away for the ksuba, he's going to be so impoverished, the only way he'll be able to live is by selling the hair on the head. He'll have to do that, right? Okay, don't we see from this that we don't assess for the debtor? Meaning, you're, normally the halacha is that if a debtor owes money, he owes the money. 
But if we make him pay the full amount, he's going to have nothing left and it will be impoverished to such a degree that he won't have his basic needs. So there's an opinion, and we bask in that massage from the Balchov, that we try to work it out. Meaning, we tell the creditor, have some rachamim, have some compassion, don't take everything away from him, that he won't have his basic needs. But here, what's Rabbi Akiva saying? That basically we don't say that, right? We say that he has to give all of his karka away to the woman, even if that leaves him so impoverished that he has nothing to eat, he'll have to sell his, his, his hair. In order to eat, he has to do that. So we see that we don't we don't, we don't make it work out for the Balchov. So the Gemara says, Amar of Nachum by Yitzchak. Really, we are Masada for the Balchov. What did Rabbi Kiva mean? You just meant that we don't tear up the Ksuba, meaning that 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 we, we will, the Ksuba document remains in the woman's hands and it will be paid in its full when the husband gets more funds. Meaning he wasn't saying the husband, go pay everything off and now you'll be so impoverished and now what are you going to eat? Go sell the hair. He's warning him that even if you go beyond what you need to do, you give her everything, it's not going to exempt you from paying the balance at a later time. Meaning let's say the Ksuba was 400 and he could only afford to pay her 300 and he gives her every single thing. He didn't have to do that, right? You could, you, 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 the basin could be massaged for you, but he went beyond and he gave her every single thing, but he only gave her, let's say, worth 300. So her Ksuba was still as a little bit that hasn't been paid back. Don't think, so he said, Rabbi Kiva tells him, you're going to get out of it. You're not going to get out of it. Even if you went beyond what you needed to do and you became so impoverished from paying back as much as you could that now you have to sell the hair on your head. We're still going to leave the Ksuba by her until she collects every last penny. And that's in contrast to other areas of halacha. Let's just give an example. Let's say you have Erechen, you owe a certain amount of money to the base of Mikdash, and you don't have the full amount for it. So you basically collect, the treasurer collects whatever he could. After that, you're off. You're good to go. Even if you get money later, you don't have to pay. But here, it's not like that. If, even if you went, be, really the halacha is, basin is masada, you don't have to pay everything. You could leave yourself basic needs. But even if you went beyond the needs and you became so impoverished, you tried to do everything you could and now you have to sell the, the, the hair on your head to eat. If you didn't pay back every penny, the ksuba is still by her. And when, she, when you acquire more money, she's going to come back at you and hit you up again. So what Rekiva is saying is you can't really even get out here. Even if you, you do everything you can and go and become so impoverished and sell the hair on your head now so that you have your needs, that, that Lamaisa is not going to get you out of paying the balance when you do acquire more funds.